0: It is good to be back with you this Sunday. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. As we continue to work through the letter to the Hebrews. This morning we're looking at verses 11 through 14. Please follow along as I read from God's word. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, since we were not in Hebrews last Lord's Day, and, and uh, uh, Brandon w- took us through a, a passage in Isaiah chapter 40, to, to just jump right in, it's kind of hard to even kind of get our bearing. So about this, we have much to say. The, the writer of this letter to the Hebrews was, was explaining the high priesthood of Christ. That's what's come before and he begins to launch into the, the depths and the beauty of how much greater Christ is than the Levitical priesthood. And he, he also begins to explain to the recipients of this letter how Christ is, is in the order of Melchizedek. And then there's this kind of jarring stop, and we see verses 11-11 introduce this reality that they're not, they're not ready to fully hear all that he has to say and wants to say about the high priesthood of Christ. Now, for him to stop, inspired by the Spirit of God at this point, and really not return again to, to this particular topic until the end of chapter 6, remember we're looking at the end of chapter 5, there is clearly an indication that something's going on in the recipients of this letter. They're not not there yet. They're not ready to hear what he has to say. And so there is an opportunity for him to write out a a rebuke, a, a waking them up, a shaking them and saying, there's a reason why I can't launch in the way I want to. And you need to hear this. This is important for your Christian life. This is important for your discipleship, your growth, your sanctification. And so as he is writing to the original recipients, we also, I pray this morning, would heed this this rebuke, this warning. So about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The high priesthood of Christ is one of the central themes of this book, but the people were not ready to hear. Why does the author not immediately go in to develop this teaching? He tells us, or he tells them, and we hear this, these things are hard to explain. Now, this does not mean that the subject matter itself is beyond the Christian's ability to hear it and understand it, rather, as John Owen tells us, they are hard to explain because the understanding of the audience is weak and imperfect. So this interpretation fits well with the rest of verse 11, which places the blame, the reason why he needs to stop, for the difficulty of these subjects, not with the subject matter themselves, but with the readers and their dullness of hearing. This is what he he launches out to say to them. You cannot, at this point, hear what I'm about to say because of the dullness of hearing. We want to spend a little bit of time thinking about this as we look at this particular passage. First, I want you to note that this dullness of hearing is not the original state of the readers, meaning this wasn't always so in their lives. How do we know that? The audience has become dull of hearing. They started out right, being uh, eager to hear, to sit under the word, to be discipled, to be trained up. But they have made themselves unable to grasp the solid food of the word of God. Now, to kind of root this in part of the letter that helps us understand that this wasn't always so, in Hebrews chapter 10 to come, we hear this in verses 32 through 36. This is, this is the writer talking about the recipients, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property." since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of, a, of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What is being described here is a season or time in their walks with the Lord when they weren't marked or defined by having this dullness of hearing. Rather contrary, there was a time when they, they fully grasped the solid food of the gospel, and it informed the way that they were living. They were willing to have their property plundered. They were willing to go, even if it would cost them uh, possible punishment, to, to visit those in prison and care for those. They had been transformed, captivated by the gospel. They were at one point as we piece all this together, feasting on solid food, and as of right now, they are functioning as infants in the faith, only able to take spiritual milk. So something's gone on here, and he's alerting them there's a dullness of hearing. So we want to continue to kind of pry into this and figure out what, what's going on. So, instead of focusing on the high priesthood of Christ immediately, the author now has to take this break, 5.11 through chapter 6, to address the Hebrews who have not grown as they should have. They are not in a position to receive further instruction that otherwise would benefit them. They're, they're, They're not ready. What I also want us to note is the, the, the author does not let them off the hook because of their dullness of hearing. It's not like he just says, well, this is the way it is, and so I'm going to just avoid going into those, the depths of the solid food. No, 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 he's, he's going to rebuke and admonish and plead with them to move away, move out of this dullness of hearing, this infantile Christianity, to a mature, solid food Christianity. Hearing is so integral to the Christian life. I hope you know that. Hearing is such an important part of the Christian life. And so the development of a hearing problem, this dullness of hearing is a hearing problem. Not not physically, they, they need hearing aids, but spiritually, they're not hearing the gospel the way they ought this development of a hearing problem is a dangerous condition for a company of men and women who have been called to listen and obey God. Like, like if, if the hearing aspect of Christianity wasn't such a big deal, it may be okay to say, well, you're, you're strong in other areas. But what this is revealing is that the DNA of a disciple of Christ is the person who listens and obeys who follows someone else who is leading the way. It's not as if we come to faith in Christ and then we then make our own way in this life and determine our path and and make those executive decisions on our own. No, the whole heartbeat of, of our life in Christ is complete dependence upon God to lead us because we are in need of being led. And that is the way God has designed it because who is honored and glorified When we follow the path that he has laid out, we aren't, he is, he is the good father that is shepherding us and helping us. And so we need to hear, we need to listen. It is part of our, our calling. It is who we are. We are followers of our Messiah, of our savior. And so this is a big deal. This is what's behind all the exhortations that we have heard thus far in Hebrews. Pay close attention. Consider. Don't harden your heart. Be diligent. Hold fast. All of those things are coming at us to help us understand that this dullness of hearing is a big deal. The most urgent question this morning is Do you have a problem hearing? And if that is so, how can you change that? The word dullness is the same word, if you've got your Bibles open, that's used in chapter 6, verse 12. Where there it's translated sluggish. The author's desire is for each believer to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that they may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so the opposite of dullness, being slow or sluggish, is diligence or earnestness to turn the message of hope into the assurance of hope. And so dull hearing doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your physical ears. It means that there's something wrong with your heart. Being dull of hearing, just think about this in in the realm of the physical. We can be in many different places, maybe even this morning when you are hearing worship songs being sung, and they're just going in one ear and out the other, they're landing on a hard heart and just bouncing out. You're hearing, but you're not really hearing. Even right now, are you listening to the word of God being proclaimed? Or are you dull of hearing? Did you come this morning anticipating that God would move by the power of the Spirit through his word? I pray that there was that anticipation. That he would use a weak vessel like me to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, just to clarify some things here, the reference to teachers is not a reference to those who hold a particular office in the church, like elder, that that are called and are supposed to be biblically qualified, able to teach. Rather, the use of the term teacher, the author here is addressing all believers' responsibility to disciple other believers. This is really important. Not all Christians are expected to be pastors or elders. All Christians, however, are expected to be teachers in the sense that they should be prepared to train new believers in the fundamentals of the faith. The gospel is given by God to Christians, not only for our own edification, And joy, but for others' good. And so I pray as you, brothers and sisters in the faith, listen to the ministry of the word here at GCC, that you would listen with an ear not only for your own soul's profit, but also with the object of being equipped to help others, to teach others, to disciple others. The New Testament does not limit teaching to the pulpit. One of the most important spheres of teaching happens in the home. A.W. Pink would call the home your own little seminary. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it may be a really good, thriving, bustling, Christ-centered seminary, or it may be a a flailing, hardly even in-place seminary, but teaching is happening in the home. Please do not think that because we are in the new covenant, that God requires less of us than he did under the law God commanded the Israelites when he gave them uh, these words for every member of every household. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk, to, talk of them when you sit in your house, and, you walk, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on, your, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If anything, that is just even further exemplified in the New Covenant family of believers, we are called to teach. What we find here is that these believers are not in a position or place where they can even teach. They are needing to be taught again the foundations of the Christian faith. They are only able to receive milk when they should be, they should be gorging on spiritual steak, so to speak. Something is off. Something's wrong. There's a dullness of hearing. The congregation should consist of willing and mature believers who are training up and developing new believers. So when you think about your spiritual walk, your spiritual growth, it has both an inward and outward dimension. We grow and are sanctified inwardly God is doing a work in us for our own sake but it doesn't end there it's for others as well for the sake of others if you even think about the call to Abram the, the whole theme of of God calling out this man to do something great through Abraham it was always he was blessed to be a blessing that, that was always the framework. God pours out his blessing, not that we just keep it to ourselves, but that, that we go and bless others with it or by it. It's the same thing with growing in our, our knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are being built up, but it doesn't end there. We are, we are called and equipped to then go and teach others. And so to kind of round this part out, AWP kind of sums it up like this in, in kind of diagnosing what's going on with the recipients of this letter, the audience. First, they had been converted long enough to be able to help others. There is no excuse for these Christians at this point in their lives. Second, instead of being useful, they were useless. Needing to be grounded afresh in the ABCs of the truth of God. And then third, lastly, so far from having the capacity to chew strong food, their condition called for that which was suited only for a stunted babyhood. I think that, that kind of nails what, what's going on, a description of, of, the, of the Hebrews at this point. So spiritual sluggishness not only prevents practical progress in the Christian life, but I want to submit to you this morning, as we have seen throughout this letter, that it actually produces regression. Some may say, well, I haven't really been, you know, digging into the things of God as of late, and so I'm kind of coasting. I don't know if you've ever explained yourself like that or, or maybe someone else. You just need to understand that that's not actually a biblical category of this kind of neutral coasting along. You see, here what's happening is it, you're either growing, feasting on meat, or you're regressing. And this is important for us to really take, take note of our own lives, evaluate what's happening in, in us. Are you at a place, if you have been a follower of Christ, are you teaching others? If not, what's preventing you from that? All of these are really good diagnostic questions that may reveal that all you are able to do at this point is receive spiritual milk, and you have had a dullness of hearing, and you just didn't even know it. May God, by the Spirit, grant you the ability to even see what's going on in your own life this morning. It was not that they had lost absolutely their knowledge of divine truth, but they had failed to lay it to heart, to make every effort to supplement their faith. Verse 13, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. So while the congregation ought to be eating spiritual meat by now instead they're living on milk now to help us a little bit here i want to i want to take us to a passage in 1 corinthians chapter 3 the apostle paul uses this metaphor of milk in a similar way so in 1 corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 he writes this but i brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. Now, there is a remarkable connection between Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 3 and what we see here in Hebrews chapter. Five, verse 13. Just as Paul contrasts the spirit and the flesh, the author of Hebrews contrasts those who are skilled and unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, when we lay these two texts side by side, uh, Al Mohler helpfully states this. He says, we learn that spiritual immaturity leads to moral immaturity. I want you to see this connection. Spiritual immaturity leads to moral immaturity. Spiritual immaturity leads to believers who live according to the flesh rather than the spirit. To willingly remain an infant in Christ makes one person, makes a person, a a person of the flesh and unskilled in the word of righteousness. The inability to receive solid food was not by nature, but I want to submit to you, it was by choice. So they were without excuse. So if the writer of the Hebrews was, was merely just making a diagno, a diagnosis of the situation, there is dullness of hearing here, then those who were spiritually sluggish would have little hope of actually changing or remedying the, the situation. He, did not, he doesn't leave them there. He does identify the problem, but he doesn't just leave them there, which we are very thankful. The writer states in verse 14 that it is the believer's responsibility to become spiritually mature. Some of you may not like the way that that sounds because, and rightly so, it is God who produces and does anything good within us. And so you you begin to kind of push yourself away from the idea of my responsibility to become spiritually mature. I thought that was God's work by the power of the Spirit in my life. And I want you to understand, if you don't understand this at this point, that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is doing a work in us. But those two things cannot be separated, thinking that God does all the work and we just let our hands go and sit back and he's gonna, voila, like magically transform us, sanctify us, grow in us a maturity where we can feast on spiritual meat. It does not happen that way. There is, and I've referred to this several times, the Puritans would refer to this as holy sweat. There is an active work that happens in the Christian life. The, the putting on the things that the Apostle Paul tells us to put on, the things of Christ, and th- the putting off, that is labor. We are working, we are putting sin to death. We are actively pursuing the things of God, fully embracing his means of grace, meaning all that he has given us to grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord. All of that is very active. And there is responsibility, and the writer of Hebrews is helping the recipients and us hear clearly. If there is dullness of hearing, you need to look at yourself. You need to pay attention. You need to understand that every decision that you make has implications on how you're doing in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Okay, so. He's not just making a diagnosis of the situation. He's giving us verse 14 that tells us that the believer is responsible to become spiritually mature. He urges the Hebrews to leave behind the milk of spiritual infancy and draw near to God. It implies that spiritual maturity is quite possible. This should be encouraging. It is possible in the life of a believer, regardless of where you are today. We cannot persist on a diet of milk when God is offering us and calling us to solid food. Now, if you're sitting there also and going, I'm still not quite tracking with spiritual milk, spiritual food. What exactly are we talking about here? The difference between spiritual milk and spiritual food is one of degree, not kind. Let me explain. Peter, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.2 says this, he commends Christians of all maturity levels to long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. So we're not talking about a different kind, but we're talking about one of degree. So spiritual milk, you could kind of think of it as the basics of the faith, and spiritual solid food, the deeper points in application of the gospel Both concern Christ. It's not like you've got the ABCs of Christianity and then you graduate and you no longer engage with the fundamentals of the faith. Not at all. In this particular case, the solid food that the author is wanting to share with them but they're not ready is the high priesthood of Christ and all the implications that that has on our life now and for eternity. He longs for them to go deeper into the things of Christ. They're not graduating outside the things of Christ to something else that's some far out, you know, ivory castle type of thing that people down here, the lay like us, don't quite understand or can even grasp. Not at all. As John Calvin comments, we do not grow beyond the gospel, but we go deeper into it. The Hebrews had chosen to not go deeper, and I pray that we would not repeat their mistake. And so in verse 14, hear the words, But solid food is is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The mature have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Training, practice, all of that helps us understand that this is a call to engagement. You watch the Olympics, you watch any professional athlete, you long to, s- to perform just a, in a, a little bit, like just a, a, a glimpse of what they do you hope that you could do, right? You, you would want to experience what they've experienced what they do on a regular basis and we all can just take a step back and realize that there were countless hours of discipline and devotion to arrive or get to the place where they could perform at that level or capacity just just like that in our in our walks we don't just you, you may you may listen to preachers online that you you listen to and you're like they are just amazing wordsmiths and, and their insight and knowledge and application of God's word, I want that. None of those guys just magically appeared in front of a congregation opening up their word and even that particular message that you heard and admired and, and, and were impacted by, that took lots of time and devotion and study and work Practice, training, all of that to get to that point. I just think we need to have realistic expectations and understand that if we long to experience the the, the, the stake of Christianity, that it is going to involve, it's going to involve work. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, work, training, practice. Another way to say this is that we are to grow up in every way. Go on to maturity. It involves growing into a complete, fully developed disciple of Christ. It means to become increasingly like Christ in our thinking, in our moral character, and in our devotion to God. All of this matters moving from having dullness of hearing to feasting on the, the depths of the gospel. So Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul describes spiritual maturity as being built up. I want you to hear this. This is where you can kind of root, okay, the, these ideas, where, where are we moving towards if we're going to move away from dullness of hearing into being able to walk out What verse 14 says, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, this is what he says in Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. Being built up to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Mature Christians are those whose lives are marked by such stability that they are not easily led astray by teachings and practices that are contrary to the Word of God. They, have, they had not yet clearly grasped. This is going back to thinking about the, the people who received this letter. When we read what the Apostle Paul just said, they're being tossed to and fro by people introducing new, new forms of teaching. They're not rooted and grounded. They're, they're dull of hearing. I want you to think for a moment about the recipients of this letter. They, at this point, had not yet clearly grasped even the fact that Judaism was but a temporary economy because as a type, its ordinances and ceremonies foreshadowed him who was to come, that is Christ, and make an atonement for the sins of the people. Early in our study, we, we recognized that there was, there was this idea or even temptation that the things that they had experienced in Judaism seemed to be better there was a temptation to kind of go back to the way things were because of what they were experienced as new what they were experiencing as new covenant believers of Jesus Christ. The world started crashing in, persecution came, hardships were abundant. Even their gatherings were not like what they saw or experienced in the temple. And so according to their eyes, the flesh, they were they were tempted, they were drawn to the things of old. Rather than seeing that Jesus is better. Even if things on the outside look like they are crumbling and it is hard, Jesus is superior in every way. This was their, their tendency. They, they were still being kind of tossed to and fro by the fact that maybe Judaism hadn't really been, um, or it wasn't fully just a, a foreshadow or a, a thing of the past. But what the author is trying to again reiterate is that Christ has come and finished his work, and so all the types and the shadows of Judaism had served their purpose, and the shadows were replaced by the substance. Shadow, substance. Good, better. This is what the, the Hebrews, the recipients of this letter, needed to be reminded of again and again. They were, they were tempted to abandon Christ in favor of the Old Covenant, even though they had been instructed by those who even served during Christ's earthly ministry. And so, to kind of bring this to a head, the remedy that is being offered is the discernment that a believer can, can grow in that actually moves them away from dullness of hearing to feasting on spiritual meat. We exercise discernment primarily, clearly, through the study and application of Scripture, and we want to dig in a little bit deeper on this topic or this theme of, of discernment. So for the Christian, discernment is a critical part of our lives, a way to look at it is there are day-to-day decision-making that all of us must engage with that that will be based on how we handle it, will be based on what has been learned in the realm of discernment, intuitive discernment, you could say. In, In one sense, it's like a theological grid in which you approach life or as life approaches you that helps make judgments about circumstances that are presented to us. And so, honestly, it, uh, we, we really would never get anything done in this life if, if, if a situation was presented to us and we had to pause, go back, consult textbooks, reconstruct all that we believe about a certain topic, then come back and engage in that particular decision-making process. We need to be ones who have grown in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, equipped ready, discerning, and and engaging in things that come our way, being able to make those decisions. So kind of an illustration here. We have a brother in our congregation who's about to go in to have a surgery in the next few days. Now imagine how disastrous it would be if his surgeon had to pause leave the room, go and consult textbooks in order to be reminded, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do in this particular situation. Come back and continue in the surgery. That would, that would freak us out, and we would say, tap, I'm out, I'm done. Take out whatever I've got in me, and I'm gone. Likewise, when it comes to our Christian life, there is the practicing and the training, the growing and the, the, the learning that would equip us to discern, to be able to handle what life presents us. There are hundreds of decisions that each of us must make each day that are not spelled out explicitly in the Bible, meaning you can't find chapter and verse to give you the particular answer for this life's challenge, this decision to be made. This happens when we have to navigate what we watch on TV or what our children watch, what political position we take, what investment strategies, what vocation we should uh, pursue, what retirement fund should be the one that would set us up, what business tactics, where to live, what to drive, what to wear, where to volunteer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. We are, we are bombarded with life decisions and needing discernment on how to navigate through this in a way that would honor the Lord and be a good testimony to others. This passage helps us understand what people really mean when they when they view another Christian and say, man, they're man, they're really spiritually immature. Many times what people mean when they refer to someone as being spiritually immature is that they have been making a lot of questionable decisions. Like you, you, don't, you don't doubt their love for Jesus, their hope in the resurrection. But when you see them on the ground day to day, they are just making awful decisions that are leading to some pretty crummy uh, implications or circumstances, results. And so we would look and say, man, there is a, a certain level of spiritual immaturity in the life of this believer. And I want you to hear, immature understanding of biblical doctrine leads to immature thinking and living. And so when you think about the spiritual milk and the dullness of hearing that the recipients of this letter were experiencing or the, the situation that they found themselves in, their, their state or place as Christians at this point, their only in, uh, experiencing the spiritual milk has implications, direct effect with their thinking and their living. And so many believers, and this is what the author is saying, are not living up to their calling in Christ to truly be salt and light in this world. And there are numerous reasons for this type of immaturity. But one failure, I think, is for people to distinguish the difference between having uh, childlike faith and and those who are feasting on, on spiritual meat, so to speak. And so what I mean by that is, I've heard this said, I don't really need to grow in the area of theology, biblical doctrine, because I have a childlike faith, and that's what has been asked of me from God's word. And I would just say that that in itself is a a skewed or wrong interpretation of even what Jesus is describing in Mark chapter 10, when he says that we must become like children to receive the kingdom. In a way, they use that as kind of justification to stay feasting on spiritual milk when they are really needing to grow up and start feasting on spiritual food. Christ demands that we become like like the typical child in our attitude toward him, not in our knowledge. There's a big difference there. To be childlike in matters of faith does not mean that our knowledge of facts is as deficient as a small child's. Rather, this childlike faith means that you are wholly and completely dependent upon God for everything. That that does not mean, then, that you no longer need to grow and, and increase your knowledge of the Lord. Unfortunately, many believers think childlike faith requires childlike knowledge, when in fact the opposite is true. Only as we begin to understand the greatness of God do we realize our utter weakness, which then actually prompts us to live as children absolutely dependent upon our Heavenly Father. So you're actually getting to the end result in a wrong biblical um, direction. You're not actually understanding that The the reality, if you really want to have childlike faith, the more you know of his greatness, the more you know of your depravity, the more you treasure the cross of Christ, that actually leads you to be more dependent and have childlike faith. Not less knowledge. And so, brothers and sisters, please do not fall into that kind of immature thinking of the Christian life we are not called to stay as spiritual infants with spiritual milk as our diet, but rather as an attitude of childlike trust and wonder in the glory of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And so this attitude is something that can be and must be maintained no matter how much we know about the Christian faith. You do not lose The trust and wonder, if you are fearing this, by growing in the knowledge of Christ. To to be engaged in more in-depth Bible study and practicing the spiritual disciplines does not somehow move you away from awe and wonder of the glory of Christ. It actually begins to open up the glory of Christ in new and profound ways As for all of eternity, we will continue to marvel and and grow in our understanding of just how great God's redemptive plan for sinners like us really is. Going on to maturity has has a lot to do with what we supplement our faith with, much more than I think we think. So I, I don't want you to miss this. I actually think that it could save you years of wasted living. If you want to eat the solid food of the word, you must exercise your spiritual senses and develop this discernment of good and evil. This will actually help you not waste your life. The way I want to help you uh, understand this is by going to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11. through 11. The Apostle Peter describes this so well. What I mean by supplementing our faith, he tells us, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Four, if These qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there is movement in your life and these things are increasing, we actually see what the fruit of that is. It will keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 9 really just is a further diagnosis of what's going on with this dullness of hearing in the Hebrews. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, if you practice these qualities, you will never fail fall for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ i encourage you to go back and read that passage the point that i'm trying to drive home here is that there is training and there is practicing there is activity on the believers part that would move them towards a life that is effective and that is fruitful in growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're still sitting there and going, okay, I know I need to grow. I know I need, if I'm walking with the Lord, I need to not be just devouring spiritual milk, but move on to the, to the meat, to the, to the deeper things of Christ. But I'm still struggling to actually make this applicable or, or, or put this into action in my life. And I want to I want to read just a little portion from uh, a passage that John Piper wrote when he's talking about Hebrews chapter five, going into six and seven, and he just he kind of lays this, and this is this is good for all of us. This was convicting for me to read and think about this week in light of wanting to grow, wanting to grow up, wanting to be mature, wanting to feast upon the deeper things of Christ, and not just stay in this realm of kind of just infant Christianity, uh, feasting on spiritual milk, this is what he says. The startling truth is that if you stumble over Melchizedek, it may be because you watch questionable TV programs. If you stumble over the doctrine of election, it may be because you still use some shady business practices. If you stumble over the God-centered work of Christ on the cross, it may be because you love money and spend too much and give too little. The pathway to maturity and to solid biblical food is not first becoming an intelligent person, but becoming an obedient person. What you do with alcohol and sex and money and leisure and food and computers have more to do with your capacity for solid food than where you go to school or what books you read. What he is driving home is what we do matters. What we do, what we don't do. What we put on, what we put off. All of that affects where we are in relation to growing in Christ likeness. So it's not just what you know in your head. It is what you participate in, decisions that you make. That that discerning good and evil, that is crucially important for a believer that wants to live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called. Worthy living in the manner in which that that Christ lived, that we live. Uh, all, All of this matters in the Christian life. And so if you are sitting here and you're going, I really probably fall more in line with the, the dullness of hearing. I've probably been feasting on spiritual milk way too long. I, I need to experience this kind of growing up that you're, that you're, you're calling us to, that you're, you're pointing to in Hebrews chapter 5. Please know that, that those decisions, what you do after you leave this place, will impact whether or not you can even begin to grasp the, the, the deeper things of Christ. Remember, there's a reason why he does not launch in to teaching them about the high priesthood of Christ at this point, because they were not ready. There was dullness of hearing, and so things in their life must change in order to prepare them to receive this feasting on the meat, the solid food that he wants them to partake of because he knows that this is good for them. This is where they need to be. This is growing in their love and their knowledge of Christ. But there needs to be some soul searching, some some reflection on what's going on in my life now that may be preventing me from even beginning to grasp the deeper things of Christ. This passage of Scripture is designed to get Christians to reassess their situation for the sake of their long-term spiritual well-being. If we have been a Christian long enough to have reached a degree of spiritual maturity, here's the question. Have we actually reached that maturity? Or are we still spiritual infants? Are we teaching others? Or are we still living on milk as a child and unskilled in the word of righteousness? Although we do not know exactly how long these believers had been believers, this origin, original audience, it is certainly long enough that their continuing immaturity was unacceptable. And sometimes this is difficult for us to hear, for someone who loves you enough to say where you are spiritually is unacceptable. The decisions that you're making actually indicate that you are not feasting on solid food. You again need the fundamentals of the faith laid to you, taught to you, because of the decisions that you're, you're living out, that, that you're operating in. We want to encourage brothers and sisters to grow up, to mature in Christ. And please hear me. None of this is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We are pleading that God would do a work in us as we strive to live obedient to him. We plead that God would open up our spiritual ears to hear so that we may not be dull of hearing. So we may feast on the solid food. So that God would use us To teach others. Remember, it does not stop with you and your sanctification. God has ordained men and women transformed by the gospel to then fulfill the Great Commission, to go and proclaim the excellencies of Christ, teaching them all that I have commanded you. We are called to teach others. And we can't do that if we have not grown up. Let us pray. Father, for the unbeliever in this room this morning, I do pray that what they've heard is that there is a serious cost to discipleship. Father, as we reflect on the grace that you have offered to sinners like us, it is amazing And it is scandalous, but it is not cheap grace. And you have called us to be sons and daughters and to live a life that is worthy of our calling. Father, if there is dullness of hearing and we are stuck as infants in Christianity, if we have only been hearing enough to indulge in In spiritual milk, may this be the day right now where you awaken us and there is repentance and a running to the the deep things of Christ, a a longing and desire to grow and to train and to practice putting on the things that are of Christ and putting off the things that, that pull us away. May we clearly understand that if we are not growing, in conformity to the image of Christ, we are regressing. And if that is so, may, may we wake up. May we see our sin, repent, believe, and trust that you who, who are faithful to forgive us also have equipped us, given us means of grace to grow to feast upon, to walk in. And I pray, Father, that we would, by the power of the Spirit, have these words in Hebrews chapter 5 applied to our hearts and our minds for your glory and our good and others' good, that you would see fit to use this body of believers as ones who feast on spiritual food and teach others the great hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.